Hello everyone, this is Danny Bait Orr from Simply Do It. Thank you for taking the time and listening to another episode. This time I had one of my clients and a good friend, Alex, which is not his real name. He wanted to be um, to not uh, fully share his information. He's a very private person to share his real story about eviction and what happened after the eviction and expectations and what have we learned, what he learned from that experience as an investor. Alex owns multiple properties, so he's not a beginner, but it was still his first eviction or go through the process entirely. It was really uh, good insights from an owner, an investor, investing remotely in, you know, his, Alex lives in California and the property is in Tennessee to uh, you know, how we went through the entire process and some decisions making, some conclusions, and so on. So I, want, I hope you will benefit from this real story, uh, real case study by, told by one of our clients. For those of you who have the stomach, I will say that after Alex's story, I have about nine minutes on talking about the current times of real estate, and what can you do, what you should do, how you can take advantage of quarantine or not. If you are, want to know a little bit more about what my thoughts, thinking about quarantine, stick around and listen to me speaking more after Alex's real story. Thank you for listening and have a terrific rest of your day and week. Bye-bye. All right. Hello, everyone. Uh, we have uh, one of our clients, investors, uh, Alex, on the line. Um, I asked Alex to uh, do a session, so maybe a short session with me on one of his personal experiences when he actually um, had issues with the tenant. He will tell everything, and he actually, you know, chased down the tenant to recoup what was owed to him. So, Alex, uh, thanks for taking the time for, uh, for, uh, for, you know, for telling us the story. Why don't you start by, I'll let you lead the conversation, but I want to hear if you can tell us what was the background, what happened, maybe approximately how long ago it was, um, what, you know, what, were, what led into the situation that you started, you took action against your tenants, and who did you speak to, uh, what was the advice you received along the way and from who? And maybe then take us all the way to the end, how this uh, situation got uh, dulled, uh in one way or another. Why don't, you take, uh, uh, why don't you start by telling us about uh, the background of this uh, situation? Sure. Thanks for uh, having me. Um, yeah, so I think uh, everything started uh, in late 2019. Uh, so I had a tenant in uh, one of my properties in uh, the Nashville metro, and uh, this tenant was late uh, uh, in paying the rent, so he didn't pay. Um, and then initially when he didn't pay, I think uh, I didn't know really what to do. I mean, should I pull the eviction trigger? immediately or should we work with a tenant and uh, I kind of debated about it and I, I remember I was talking to you and uh, uh, you told me this uh, famous sentence about uh, your tenants 
taught you uh, not to be nice, quote unquote, end quote. So, um, having said that, I think we did talk with him and try. We tried to work with him, try to understand what the problem he is, and he he promised to pay, you know, the next few weeks or something like that. And uh, unfortunately, he failed to meet his obligation uh, again. Um, and um, you know, and this was the moment for me that uh, I said I'm not gonna continue with this. So I gave him his chance. He didn't took it. So. Uh, uh, we started the, the eviction process. Um, um, may, may I jump in? And ask, so this sure. is a tenant who was, uh, who was late. Um, you were not managing the property directly. You're using a property manager, I would assume? Yes, of course. Yeah, all the communication with, uh, with the tenant was done via the uh, property manager. And even, you know, we gave them, uh, after they didn't pay initially, we gave them another time to pay and, and even when they didn't pay, the, the second time we told them, okay, we're going to evict you. You have until, you know, tomorrow at midnight to pay. So we gave them another warning and they, he didn't pay. So unfortunately, we had to start the eviction process. Okay. So the eviction process started, of, uh, the property manager, you know, processing it. Please continue. Yeah, and uh, it's important to know it's a process. For me, it was just the first time, I mean, the only time so far, uh, thanks God, but it was the first time for me to evict someone. Um, I think, uh, you know, one thing to I could do better is to maybe ask the property manager to better explain me the process because there was relative, a relative silence from their end uh, they just said, you know, okay, we'll start the eviction process, but didn't really explain everything. And I guess I needed to ask what does it mean, what the timeline was. They they explained vaguely, but, you know, I, I expected to get more, you know, on this date, we're going to, you know, to put a sign on the door. Uh, on that date, if it doesn't pay, the sheriff comes, you know, and so on and so forth. So, uh, you know, I kind of uh, let, uh, let myself, uh, you know, marinate with, with my feelings instead of uh, reaching out to the property manager uh, initially. Eventually I did, and they explained to me the process, but uh, there was just, I guess, let off, uh, let, uh, um, there was, let's say, um, a gap in the communication or expectations, and uh, I think it's important before going through this process to just, you know, have a conversation, understand the timelines better. Um so I, I don't remember uh, exactly what the process was, but uh, I remember during the process there was some kind of a, they took it to a court and the judge said uh, there was like some kind of a trial before, like during the eviction. And then uh, a judge said, okay, you need to pay or, and if you don't pay, then you're getting evicted. So I don't know if it's part of the normal procedure or if there was something special about it, but uh, um this is how it was, and uh, so eventually, you know, there was no need for like a, a violent uh, eviction. Uh, he just took his stuff and just left the house. Uh, but by leaving the house, he left uh, some damages in the house, as well as you know, he didn't pay uh, the rent for uh, a couple of months. Um, and this is when uh, I was debating what to do, and uh, I think it was. Uh, a total of uh, less than 10k, something like around the $8,000 uh, 
damages, including you know the the, the rent and uh, cleaning to the house and some damages that he did, uh, which uh, the deposit obviously didn't cover. Um, so I decided to uh, to sue to take him to the court of law, and um, and yeah, this was like a decision I had to take. I thought you know I have not, nothing to lose. I mean the paying the lawyers was uh, relatively, you know, there was like high, low, low risk, high re- reward situation because I think paying the, the lawyers was like, I don't know, around $1,000, something like that. I don't remember, but, you know, it was a chance, a chance there was a chance to, to get uh, much more money back. Let, let me pause it there for a second. So phase one, after, you know, maybe phase one was trying to sort it out with the tenant. It didn't work out. Phase two is the process of eviction, which started with some notices, ended up with a court hearing, which basically the judge ruled in your favor and um, instructed the tenant to move out of the house, which he did, the tenant did. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you say the word violent eviction, that usually means there was no need to call a sheriff to come right. out and forcefully uh, evict, the, evict them out. They actually left. At this point... Correct. You obtained position of the house uh, or the property manager, so you started doing whatever work needs to be done uh, in order to get it uh, ready and list it all over again. At the same time, you said, uh, if I heard you correctly, the damages the tenant left are about $8,000. Was that the number you, you, you mentioned, roughly? Yeah, the damages including the rent. So more realistically, let's include, say five include, okay. damages. Yeah. So let's say five k. Uh, we, we're using round numbers, but let's just say about five k in actual damages, physical damages they left behind, yeah. plus loss loss of income. Yeah. Plus, yeah, the two months that he so, didn't pay rent. Two months of that. Okay. Okay. And you had a security deposit of about probably about one month which obviously only covered one month, <laughs> not everything. Correct, yeah. Correct. Now, at this point, you decide to file a small claim lawsuit against the tenant. Is that what the action you did? Yes. Uh, I figured that the risk for me is minimal. I mean, worst case, I'm going to lose the, the money I paid the lawyers and maybe some uh, court expenses. But, you know, I knew that mm-hmm. I was right and... Uh, you know, the judge already kind of clued that, uh, you know, I was uh, rightfully, you know, need to get paid. So I figured that it's not a matter of risk. It's just a matter of time and maybe uh, the cost to the lawyers. I mean, I don't know how it works in other states or in other, with other lawyers, but uh, I work with the property manager's lawyer, and they basically charge, I guess they are very experienced with those kind of uh, situations. So they charge like a fixed cost for the case, uh, no matter what. So it's it really it really hedged my my risk there. So I figured this is a, a low risk, high reward situation. So I, I I pulled the trigger. Got it. Okay. All right. And so a lawsuit was filed, and then what happens? So unfortunately, the next thing that happened was the COVID nineteen. And uh, the courts, the the courts were uh, shut down. So, uh, and that's another thing uh, I didn't know about it. So I got like uh, I got a, a date for the trial, 
but uh, then you know I expected update and I didn't get update so I, I think the the property manager and took the, it took them time to get back to me and um, I mean I guess it's just the nature of the beast I mean uh, I guess everybody talks about property managers and uh, how to work with them but that's uh, I guess the the moral of the story is uh, try to uh, be on top of things and communicate regularly with your property manager uh long story short the trial got pushed back uh, several times due to covid because uh, everything was closed and uh, but eventually the trial uh, happened and uh there were discussions and uh i i guess i was lucky uh because um the mother of uh, or the the in-law the mother of or or the in-law of the tenant was a co-signer on the contract and uh they were able to uh, locate her, the lawyers, and they reached out to her uh, and uh, told her about the situation. And uh, she offered to settle um, because, and, and maybe I forgot to say that, you know, obviously the guy didn't have a lot of money and uh, the chances, chances to, to get the money, the, the full amount from him wasn't super high. So, um, she offered to settle. She offered to pay, I think, something around six thousand uh, dollars if I, you know, if I uh, withdraw the case and uh, we leave everything behind us. And uh, so I agreed to this deal. And uh, you know, a few days later, I got the check and paid the lawyers. And uh, I think overall, it was. Uh, it was a fair deal. I mean, uh, I didn't recoup all my money, but uh, the damages could be much higher uh, if I weren't to, you know, to, to go after to go after the tenant. So I'm happy I did eventually. Um, was uh, along the way? Did anybody recommend you to not go or do go after the tenant at all, or? Was that something that uh, you said I'm gonna? Was it like um, it's the right thing to do, and I don't care? Yeah, I mean, uh, they didn't uh, recommend or not recommend it. They just told me that uh, the property manager told me that the chances are very low. Uh, never in their life they were able to, you know, to see someone who pays the, the amount, and like they made me understand that it's a hassle, and uh, uh, you know, they thought. They, they they wanted me to think about it and and uh, really uh, see if this is something I want to pursue. But uh, again, I mean, it's not. I think uh, I thought you know, for me there wasn't really a lot of risk. I mean, it wasn't me. You know, I didn't have to go to the to the court and lose work days or something like that. Everything was managed by the lawyers. The, the only risk for me was uh, basically. Uh, losing the money I paid for the lawyers or, you know, if we did something unlawfully in the eviction process, you know, then he could have said that uh, we evicted him uh, unlawfully and then, you know, he could have sued us. But uh, first, I trusted the property manager that they did uh, everything uh, by the book. Um, and, uh, yeah, and, and I took the chance, basically. Okay, so so I think there's there's um, so first of all, I think there's some aspect I wouldn't want to say luck or maybe not exactly luck, but um, very uh, benefiting factor is that the the 
the outcome may have been completely different if there wasn't an in-law or mother-in-law or whatever as a co-signer. But at the same time, yeah. there, probably, there probably was a good reason why to have a mother or someone else, another person as a co-signer in order to execute the lease altogether. So the fact that the property manager was, were able to include that was and turned out to be a, a good mitigating, a mitigating uh, uh, um, decision. Right, yeah, I agree, and uh, you've mentioned luck. I think that uh, I was lucky in a way uh, that the eviction process happened uh, before COVID started because, as you know, uh, during COVID, COVID, it was really much harder to evict people. Uh, so, and even though the trial took place during COVID, uh, you know, all the cases actually happened before COVID, so you couldn't uh, hide you know, he couldn't use COVID as, a, as, a, as an excuse of uh, why he didn't pay. And, right. Uh, so, so I was lucky there as well. I mean, it could be that, uh, you know, if he, if he was able to pay the money and then six months later he got into trouble, then, uh, you know, he could use COVID as an excuse. And that, that could be like a, a really different story or a different end to the story. Okay. And, and, and the $6,000, hopefully I'm using the right term, agreement or settlement with the, with the co-signer, uh, was that done after the court the, 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 you know, made a, some sort of a ruling uh, against the tenant, or was that a settlement or an agreement that was done before there was actually a court hearing regarding the damages, uh, the, what the, the damages, the, the small claim lawsuit, not regarding the eviction, of course? Uh, so the trial started... Uh, I mean, there were a few steps in the trial, and uh, he got summoned to the to the court. Um, it didn't go too too far into the process when she offered to. I don't know if she offered or my lawyer offered this to her, uh, and she agreed, and I agreed. But uh, I think, uh, yeah, it was before like the the judge uh, decision or something like that. I see. I see. Okay. So it's kind of all happening pretty much around the same time where uh, there may be met in court uh, and then had a discussion and then agreed on something, which, which I think happens, uh, um, uh, happens sometimes. Uh, people actually get all the way to court to settle the thing. Okay. Yeah. So it sounds yeah, like... Yeah, I remember there was, a, there was a really a problem to, uh, to find the guy. He kind of disappeared. And uh, it was really lucky that we were able to, uh, to find her. Um, so, uh, and she, as, as his mom or a relative, she was really, uh, concerned about his future and she didn't want this sustain on his, uh, credit, credit score. And I think this was the driving, uh, this was what was driving her, uh, decision to, to work with us, uh, on a solution. Right. Got it. Okay. Okay. So, so I, so I want to, I want to kind of draw some, uh, learning uh, points from this from this uh, uh, from this uh, experience. Number one, I think it's fair to say it was a, a, a let's just say fairly good. On you know kind of you know there's a paradox here. On one end, maybe the tenant was not ideal tenant. Obviously, it turned out to be. On the other end, the property manager just didn't accept it. Just based on his merits, they used a co-signer. So maybe there was some. Uh, everything seems to be okay with the tenant, but not, uh, not ideal. So the fact that they were 
able to get a co-signer is, is definitely a good outcome in this situation. Uh, so it's interesting to see if we were to speak to the property manager what he remembers about approving or the situation of approval of this tenant. Second thing that it sounds like um, was a learning curve for you, and I think that I, I try to always tell it to, uh, to my, my client, is the working with property manager requires supervision. It doesn't necessarily need to be micromanaged, but, you know, be proactive or, you know, kind of um, follow up on, on activities. Uh, uh, they are, even if they're... If, even when they are professionals, that doesn't mean they're always well-organized with everything. Even if they've done it even 20, 50, 100 times, it doesn't mean it's all well-organized. And it also can be somewhat different. I know for a fact that in the metro of Nashville, the process of eviction is different between the different counties. So one county is, 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 is you know, it's very similar, but there are nuances. Uh, but days and durations, etc., and then obviously court uh, busyness. So that's a, you know, a good learning curve for you to be always, not just during an eviction, more, more uh, um, proactive and supervising with the property manager. The third that I'm hearing is just because people tell you don't, don't bother, maybe you should try and bother, and it's always a, a good... A good a, uh, risk reward. You knew you're risking a thousand dollars. You're willing to risk in order to possibly get several, you know, several thousands of dollars back, which in this case works. By the way, you're not necessarily losing a thousand dollars. It's an expense that will be deducted on your tax return. So it's not losing it as if it's money gone. It will be deducted as an expense. So it's not uh, uh, um, 100% losing. Um, that's, uh, that's very interesting. Uh, are there anything, other things you think are worth drawing as a conclusion or learning from this uh, uh, story or situation? Yeah, I think uh, a key point for me uh, was to make sure we're, we are uh, uh, getting good tenants and I'll give you an example. I have like uh, I have a vacant house right now, and uh, um, someone uh, applied, and uh, it wasn't so, you know, uh, the credit score wasn't the best, and uh, it was it's in a, it's in another state, and they, they, they another property manager, and they have, have like their processes that uh, if the uh, credit score is not so high, then uh, they ask for a double the amount for the uh, security deposit, and, uh, and and basically he he agreed to that. But uh, you know I didn't feel okay about it, and uh, because first he didn't agree completely, he tried to negotiate. But then I thought to myself, you know, if he, if he's trying to negotiate about this, then probably doesn't have a lot of savings, and if something happens, then, you know, he's underwater. And uh, I told the property manager, no, I don't want this tenant. Uh, I, I, I'm not, uh, I don't want, I want good, good tenants, and I'm willing to lose another month of vacancy. Just give me good tenants. And uh, because, I mean, for me, that's the number one lesson from this case. I mean, it starts with good tenants, and if they are good, and take care of your property, and you're, you know, you're being... Uh, fair to them, then everybody is happy. It's a win-win, and uh, 
it's just a way to avoid all of those situations. Very good, very good. I like that a lot. And, and you know, I, I'm going to uh, mention that um, I have actually had a session, a, you know, a podcast episode with the, the, the owner of the company in of the property management company in Nashville that you know and work with, and we were talking about qualifications and evictions. We were not having a discussion on regular ongoing management stuff, which many things have been already told. We're just having, I told him I need a discussion about the before and after. And when we got to the after, meaning if there are issues with the tenant such as leading to eviction, he kept saying, when we do work correctly on the front end of the qualification, we're, we're, the chances that we're not going to be having this conversation about eviction. Or, or yeah, 100%. Or it's never a guarantee, of course. Uh, n- never a guarantee. But it was funny that he kept referencing back to the beginning of the conversation, saying exactly what you just said at the moment. And I think one of the things that uh, tenants, uh, not an owners, are need some um, patience is exactly that. Maybe it's worthwhile waiting and losing quote unquote another month, which is never. Uh, never pleasant, especially if you're beginning or starting out, and wait for the right tenant um, instead of rushing in even with some additional security. Sometimes it's a good thing, but not always. So uh, thanks very much for, for sharing that. Do um, you have anything else to add? Um, no, I really think that sums up everything. Um, you know, all in all, even uh, even with this uh, uh, so-called bad experience. I'm really happy with my investment and uh, with real estate, generally speaking, as an asset class. So uh, uh, it teaches you a lot about yourself and about people, and uh, it also pays nicely. So I'm happy. Well, I'm glad to hear it. Uh, pleasure having pleasure having you as a client and a friend. And I appreciate you taking the time today to share this story. Uh, with uh, other investors. Thanks very much. Sure, thank you for having me. Hey everyone, I hope you enjoyed the episode with Alex and mainly benefited from it. I want to take a few minutes kind of to talk about what's going on right now out there with the economy, um, about, you know, making decisions or not making decisions in current times. Because this seems to be the number one asked questions I get these days from investors or investors that are just starting, but not just all those who start or looking to start, is what should we do now? Should we sit on the sidelines? Should we wait? Should we continue investing? We're, you know, we're all confused, right? I would assume... Many of you, you are maybe confused as well. I am a bit confused, I can tell you, because on one hand, we see that the real estate is kind of kind of slowing down, flattening. Some areas, uh, you know, are reporting on, on uh, you know, kind of already going down, not crashing, but declining. Houses are not flying out left and right within a few hours at market, you know, above asking price. So there's definitely a transitional phase we are in a transitional phase, right? 
uh, stock market for the past six months plus has been mostly declining, not all, but mostly we're seeing declining. Um, on the other hand, jobs, uh, you know, jobs are, are you know, in, uh, unemployment, the jobs are actually doing well. Companies are, some big corporations are announcing they're stopping, you know, uh, hi, you know stop hiring or laid off. But if you really read the, you know, the lines, many of those lay, layoffs are small numbers and not, you know, like a huge number of the employments. Of course, there's always exception. So you get mixed signals, right? Inflation is still high. Interest rate is going up. Real estate is kind of cooling off, you know, to a certain degree. Not in every market. Confusing. So let's just try and kind of break it down into component and maybe try and understand what can you do during these times. So first of all, I want to share with you that in my history of investing in real estate, looking back and reflecting on periods or phases in the economy where uncertainty was the leading the leading uh, um, uh, engine always or mostly translated to people not doing anything. I'm not uncertain. I'm going to sit and watch, which I get it, right? It, it's the, our intuition how to operate in the times of uncertainty is actually do nothing, which is completely, completely, it, it makes sense. However, all those times over my career that I had watched what others are doing, not what everybody's doing, what some are doing in times of uncertainty, I could see that the veteran or more experienced real estate investors are actually exploiting those times of uncertainty to be more aggressive and move forward and acquire properties. And that always like, always kind of made me think like, how do, what do they know or what, what, you know, how they have so, so much confidence, then I realized it's not about what they know, it's about what they believe about making a decision and about what's happening around them. So here's my take about the current times. A lot of people are sitting on the sideline and doing nothing, waiting for things to happen. That is a transitional period and that, you know, causes sellers also to be somewhat in an uncertainty. So if we have a phase, and normally those uncertain times are no longer than several months, uh, then we have a phase of uncertainty, and we, are, we, and we, you, I, others, are in a position to consider buying, we're just debating how to go about it, if at all, if we exploit the in times of uncertainty, we will most likely benefit. So we have to take it down a notch, from a philosophical, unknown... Guys, I don't know the future, right? I don't know that either. But if we take it down a notch to a more of a pragmatic level and say, okay, we're not, uh, uh, not going to jump in and buy blindly. What we're going to do is we're going to look for opportunities in the marketplace. And there are opportunities in the marketplace, not always the way you would think to find them. And I'll explain that in a second. And if we find an opportunity and, it's a, and we can make this opportunity or grab that property for a significant 
below market value, we are A, hedging against already starting point, you know, buying with some equity inside. So our starting point is already better. B, we are mitigating against the unknown. And C, keep that in mind, when we buy quality and long-term, and long-term being at least five years, but most likely 10 or more, we are already inherently hedging against the economic times, right? So even if everything is fine or nothing crashes or, or go, goes down or even goes up in the next you know, year or two or three or four or five, and we bought a quality property and we held it for 10 or more years, very likely, based on how things you know, behave historically, that our property over time will, will go up, right? It may go faster, slower, decline at some point in the next 10 years, and you know, end up going up pretty much usually keeping up with the rate of inflation, actually doing, you know, historically speaking, a bit better than inflation. So if we are taking this idea of, yeah, no, what, I don't know, and we're looking out for those opportunities, we may be able to, to grab you know, many of those opportunities as it, at, at the discount. Now, why is time of uncertainty a little bit better? Because I believe that in several months, two, three, four months, when things will get more of a clarification what is going on with the economy, and buyers will come back more than right now into the marketplace, it will affect the local marketplace prices. <coughs> and on the top of that, the interest rate that we are now seeing, which is a high interest rate, is actually causing homeowners to not buy. And for that reason, builders are slowing down construction. So less houses are being built, although the demand for housing is still very high. And on the top of that, guess what's going to happen with those homeowners that are now sitting on the sideline, undecisive, and also, you know, terrified or their affordability rate has gone down because of the interest rate, guess what they need to do? They need to rent, or at least some of them, many of them. So we have an opportunity on one hand to exploit the uncertainty <coughs> of the market, meaning a lot of sellers are, are in that position, plus exploit the opportunity that there are less buyers in the marketplace because everybody's sitting on the sideline and buy something that will most likely be, you know, but well right now because we get a discount, quality, long-term, in a very likely market that the rent is are still gonna stay strong and vacancy, you know, uh, uh, and vacancy as well. Again, this is generally speaking, every market, every metro is gonna have specific behavior, but generally speaking, the mindset, is as such. So you guys, if you're listening, you should be asking yourself, not should I be sitting on the sideline or buying or not? Where is the opportunity? What's the opportunity and where can I find it? <clears throat> and that's where we could come in and help you to find those opportunities because I see properties coming from different specific segments in the market and not in every market that are presenting an opportunity for you to buy at a discount. Buying at a discount means we have some hedging, we have some equity built in, 
we have some better return on investment. There's a lot of advantages here. It does mean, it also means that most likely your cash flow will suffer, <coughs> quote unquote, suffer for a little while until the interest rate goes down and we will be able to refinance and improve the cash flow. So expect, let's just call it a challenging cash flow in the next one, two, three, or four years. And throughout those, the next one, two, three years or something like that, I suspect or I believe, and I'm, I don't know that for a fact, of course, we will have an opportunity to refinance and get a better rate and, all, you know, and, and improve the cash flow. So don't be intimidated by the interest rate. For me, it's, an, it's, a, it's, a, it's a hiccup. It's annoying, but we are not. <coughs> excuse me, marrying our interest rate now for the next 30 years, we are most likely going to refinance in the, in the future and improve our standing financially or cash flow wise. You, the, for me, high rates that are generating this slowing down or cooling off in, in real estate and creating this uncertainty is actually the fuel for our period of leveraging or exploiting the current market turns which will change in several months and will not give us the opportunity as much as we have it right now. So that's just my take, how you should look at taking action or not in current times. I hope you benefited from, the, from Alex's story. I hope you benefited from me going, you know, you know venting or renting on, you know, on the current times. And if you guys are looking to invest and you're looking for those opportunities and you're not sure where to find them, you know where to call or who to email. We are here to help you with taking advantage of current times. Thank you for listening. This is Danny Bedor, and I hope to hear from you soon. Bye-bye.